If you're turning with me in your Bibles, we're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel chapter 14, where we're starting, if you're turning with me. Um, and today, I just want to take a few minutes and talk to you about your yes. I'm going to talk to you about your yes. So if you can tell, I already started talking some about that during worship and prayer and stuff, as it usually happens. But I want you to realize, if you don't know, there are times, or we could say there are moments in your life where you're faced with a question. All right, there's going to be these times, there's going to be these moments in your life where you're faced with a question, and then you get to choose. You answer the question. Now, whether your answer is yes or no, we're all faced with these moments. And so I want to just spend a few minutes this morning talking about those moments and the significance of a moment, a moment that you choose to say yes or no. See, if you answer yes, things will change. If you answer no, Things will stay the way they are. Usually, not always, but usually, yes opens doors and no closes doors. Right, all the way down to the simplest thing. Like if you run up to me after church and say, Hey, you want to go to Pizza Hut? And I say, Yes, that opens the door for me to go with you. If I say, No, that closes that door. Unless your journey, then you ask again in a few minutes and try to get a yes. But the no is supposed to close a door. Usually, you say yes and it opens a door. So in spiritual things and in big things and in, in epic moments when we're faced with a question, if we know that ahead of time, like a yes is going to open a door. And a lot of times that's not a good thing depending on the question, Right? Sometimes we need to close the door. I've been faced with some questions or some decisions in my life, and the good and smart thing was to say no and close that door. So don't get me wrong, because I'm going to talk a lot about your yes today. Like, that's what we're talking about. But don't just think, okay, I need to be a yes man or a yes woman. Because that's not what I'm saying. You need to have proper boundaries. And sometimes you need to close the door. But what I am saying is your yes is powerful. And like other powerful things, you must be careful how you use it. And if you don't realize how powerful your yes is, maybe you just throw it around and it's not nearly as powerful as it could be. You wouldn't just say yes to anyone that asked you to marry them, would you? Well, I hope not. Why? Because you know that if you say yes, things are going to change. That's a big decision. It could change your whole entire life. So you wouldn't be careless with that yes. I hope. Some of you have been, and maybe like it may not last that long if you... That's a yes you want to think about. 
before you just say, yes, okay, I'll marry you. I'll marry you. Because you know that's a big decision. You know it would change your life. You wouldn't do that. When I asked Jesse to marry me, I was looking for one answer. Yes. Right? I wasn't looking for maybe, no. I sure wasn't looking for a no. I wasn't looking for a long pause, which is kind of what I got, like the suspense. You're looking for a yes. I was looking for her yes. And by me asking her, I had already made the decision. It was already a yes on my part. But then I had to put myself out there and see if she would give me a yes back. We sure didn't have it all figured out. I'll tell you that. Didn't know what life was going to look like. Had no idea how hard things were going to be. Had like... We definitely didn't know, and that's how it happens in the Spirit. That's how it happens with your calling. That's how it happens with your purpose. God doesn't show you everything all up front. He just asked you for a little step of obedience. He asked you to take one step. Why? Because if He showed you everything up front, you'd probably run. You'd probably give Him a no and close that door. I know I would. Because you can't handle it. But that's the point of a God dream is that you can't handle it. It's bigger than you can handle. That's the whole point. It's so you need Him and you need faith and you need trust and you need hope and, and to live the big life that God's called you to live and to walk out the dreams that He's placed inside your heart and your mind. You're going to need Him. And so He can't show it all to you at once. Just like when me and Jesse got married, we didn't know what it was going to look like all at once. We didn't know how hard Malachi was going to be. He's a good kid. But all the different things that you would walk through, I don't think she had a clue how crazy my family is. And she's got some pretty crazy ones in her family too. You ever heard somebody say, well, I'm not marrying his family. I'm marrying him. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> that ain't how it works. Right? You don't know everything. But she gave me her yes. So when you get married, all you have is a Yes. But then you will keep saying yes over and over and over. Yes to love and yes to relationship and yes to growth and yes to kids and yes to jobs and yes and yes and yes. But there are moments, should you choose to accept, that will change the course of history moments, these defining moments, these epic moments, moments that are so big they can change your life forever. Decisions that come up that can change everything. They can change who you are, who you think you are. Moments that can literally change not only your future, but the future of the world. So how is it that some people seem to have these epic 
ground-shaking moments where they do the impossible. They do these great things for God. They, they lead these huge ministries. They help hundreds, thousands of people. They Moments where they rise out of adversity. They, they somehow rise to the top. These miracle moments where they see God come through. And other people just kind of watch life happen. Waiting for their moment. The great danger is that you would watch life happen instead of making life happen. In the movie Braveheart, it tells the story of William Wallace. Y'all know the movie. It's a great movie. Played by Mel Gibson. It's the story of a common man who led Scotland to freedom from English rule with a great sense of destiny. Wallace commands a ragtag band of farmers and villagers to defeat their oppressors, forcing them back to England. The turning point for Scotland comes at the Battle of Stirling. The Scots are vastly outnumbered and begin to flee before the battle even begins. Wallace rides onto the scene and reminds the Scots who they are and what is truly important. I am William Wallace. I need a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men, and free men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? A soldier answers. No, we will run and we will live. Wallace replies, yes, fight and you may die. Run and you'll live at least for a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that one for one chance? Just one chance to come back here and tell your enemies that they can take your lives, but they will never take your freedom. God has given you true, glorious, eternal freedom. You have no condemnation. Paul taught us that. Your guilt is gone, never to be remembered against you again. God intends that you feel forgiven. Your freedom was purchased at an awful price, so act like it. Talk like it. Pray like it. Teach like it. And most of all, love like it. Don't walk around like you're bound. Don't walk around as slaves to your sin. Don't walk around like you're not free because you're free. The price was paid for you on the cross, so, so stop being trapped by fear. Live in your freedom. Make the most of every single moment. Fight for peace and joy. Love. Fight for humanity. So I'm going to start. Um, in Scripture, I've already started, obviously, but I'm going to start reading this story in Scripture. And it's kind of familiar story, so I'm going to go through it kind of quick. But this is where um, 
Saul is the king of Israel and his son Jonathan is part of his army and and they're really scared. And the Philistines have them cornered and they're afraid and they're hiding underneath the pomegranate tree because that's, they would hide under there because the branches were so thick. If the enemy shot arrows, sometimes they would just all shoot arrows up in the air and let them fall and just kill the soldiers that were down in the valley. So they would hunker down under these pomegranate trees that would stop the arrows. So Saul and 600 men were hiding under the pomegranate trees. This is a moment where fear was leading. Even though these were God's people, even though the priest told them that they should go and fight, they were led into battle, they were following God's command of voice, they had somehow come to a point where they were letting fear lead. They were all hiding out. Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison. That is on the other side. But he told not his father. So he told his armor bearer, Come on, we're about to go to the Philistines. Why didn't he tell his dad? His dad was the king and the leader of the army, and his dad was in charge, and his dad probably would have sent him some troops to go with him. Or, no, his dad would have said no. I don't think so. In fact, that's certain death for you to climb up that hill. That's why none of us have climbed up the hill yet. We're hiding because they have the high ground, and the only way to get to them is to climb up a cliff, and that would be stupid, and you would die, and you are my son, and you're the prince, the heir to the throne of Israel. You're not going. That makes sense. That's logical. As a dad, if one of my boys came to me and told me they were about to climb up the cliff and fight a whole army, and I said, who's going with you? And they said, my little buddy here. I would say, no, you're not. Absolutely not. So he didn't tell his dad. Verse 2 says, and Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree which is in Migron and the people that were with him were about 600 men if I'm ever hiding like if I ever get to a place where I'm being led by fear and I find myself in a moment and I'm afraid to act and my faith is gone. And I'm just hunkered down, hiding under a tree. I hope one of my boys doesn't tell me. I hope they can see the potential of that moment, even if I can't. More than that, I hope they know the potential of our God. And they go do what I can't do. And Ahai, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother. Some good names there. Any of y'all are pregnant. The son of Phineas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. 
And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over unto the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Boaz, and the name of the other was Sena. And the forefront of the one was situate northward over against Mishmash, and the other southward over against Gibba. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go up over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Hey, let's go up there and fight. Let's make something happen. Let's not just sit here in fear. Let's get up and do something about it. God said that we could win this fight. God said that we could win this battle. So let's do it. Let's say yes. Let's run up the hill. And here's his pep talk to his armor bearer to get him pumped up and ready to go. Because remember, this wasn't the armor bearer's idea. He was asleep. He was hiding with everybody else in safety. This wasn't his plan. It's one thing, like I'm talking a lot about your yes and about you having faith to step out. And and when you know, like, you want to take advantage of a moment and step out. But it's a whole other thing when you're trusting somebody else that, hey, I'm going to step out and follow God. And you're like, yeah, but your yes is tied to me. But you saying yes to God means I might die. That's baloney. Right? Like the armor bearer. So, so here's the good pep talk he gives him. It may be that the Lord will work for us. You ready? And God might help us. God might be with us. Oh, that's encouraging. Good. He might. God might help us out. Cool. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. I mean, Jonathan reminds him how big God is. How powerful God is. And he said, and he might help us. And his armor bearer said unto him, do all this in your heart. Turn thee. Go for it. Behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. I'm with you. He said, you want to go do it? You're asking me to go with you? Yes. I'll go with you. You want to run up that hill? I'm right behind you. You have anybody in your life that'll say yes? When the thing that you're about to do is so big, you don't even know how you're going to do it. Yes. He said, I'll go with you. And his verse 8. Then said, Jonathan, behold, we will pass over unto these men and we will discover ourselves unto them. And if they say thus unto us, tarry until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say thus, come up unto us, then we will go up, for the Lord hath delivered them into our hand, and this shall be a sign unto us. Not only was this crazy, Not only did he not know for sure if God was going to help, but this is the absolute worst battle strategy ever. What we're going to do is sneak over there, and then we're going to show ourselves to the enemy and yell and make sure we get their attention. And when they look down, here's what we'll do. If they look down and say, hey, wait right there. We'll be down in a minute. We'll know, don't go up and fight them. 
But if they look down and say, hey, come here for a minute. We want to talk to you. Then we'll know we got this. That's a horrible plan. At least if two people are going to try to attack a whole entire army, you've got the element of surprise because they think surely no one's that dumb. They're going to crawl up a cliff and try to attack us. The only thing they had working for them was the element of surprise. And they said, and Jonathan's like, all right, here's the plan. We're going to give up the one thing we got going for us. Let them know where we're at. And both of them discovered themselves unto the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they had hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer. And they said, Come up to us and we will show you a thing. Come here. I want to show you something. And Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, Oh, yeah. Come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them unto the hand of Israel. It's God's victory. At that moment, they knew that they won before they even ran up the hill. They knew that God was going to work with them. Jonathan would not be trapped in his father's moment. He knew that he must do something. Don't get trapped in somebody else's moment. Saul was still in charge. Right? Saul would have said no to Jonathan taking control of this moment. But Jonathan would not allow himself to be trapped in that moment. He said, no, I got I to gotta do something about it. That's a word for somebody today. Just do something. Do something. Stop waiting. Trust me, you're not so fast that God can't catch up. Ain't like you're going to outrun him. I better not take off and do too much. Trust me, he can keep up. Go. Do something. So how do you know that you're in a divine moment? Like, how do you know when this could be an epic moment? This could be a life-changing moment. How, how do you know? It's when the moment's too big for you. It's when you can't handle it. Right? It's when things are falling apart. It's when the enemy is so great you don't know how to beat it. God is with me, shouldn't it be easy? No. Definitely not. Verse 13, and Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet. It was so steep, they couldn't even walk up. They had to climb up. And his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan. And his armor bearer slew them after him. They climb up the hill and Jonathan just takes off running through, just knocking them down. And the armor bearers just running behind him, killing them. Kill shots. And Jonathan's just plowing people. And that first slaughter, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, was about 20 men. Within, as it were, a half of an acre of land, which a yoke of oxen might plow. 
So they jump up and run across a half an acre, and on their way, they drop 20 Philistine warriors. These are armed warriors. This wasn't just like peasants up there farming that they were running along killing. These are warriors that knew they were coming, that actually called to them and gave them an invitation to come. So they had to be sitting there at the top of the cliff with their swords out waiting on these two dummies to climb up. And they just they climb up the top of the hill and just, pew, there they go, running for half an acre, killing people. It's a pretty crazy story. And there was trembling in the host, and in the field, among all the people, and the garrison, and the spoilers, and also trembled, and the earth quaked. So it was a very great trembling. So at this moment, after they ran through these 20 people and they're getting deeper into the Philistine army, you know, they're going to probably die because they're not going to take out all the Philistines, the whole Philistine army for this moment that's like these two guys. And all of a sudden, there's an earthquake, something that they can't control. The ground shook. If you go finish reading the story and read and Israel realizes that something's going on, the rest of the army, Saul's army, and they say, oh, somebody's going over. Who is it? Who's missing? Oh, it's Jonathan. And, and they win a great battle that day as they ran over the hill. Then there was an earthquake. And God did what only he could do. Sometimes we run. And then the earthquakes. Jonathan ran up the hill and then the earthquake. Then something crazy happened. But they all experienced the earthquake. Right? It scared Saul and the ones that were still hiding down at the bottom of the hill because they didn't know what was going on. Why are we having an earthquake? Why are these circumstances happening? Why is this happening? We were already getting beat by our enemies and now there's an earthquake and the whole world's even nature's against us. The Philistines experienced the earthquake. They were the enemy and the earthquake ultimately caused them to lose. They lost the whole battle. So the earthquake for Jonathan and the armor bearer was like God coming through in a big way and winning the battle for him. But the exact same earthquake for the ones that were scared laying under a tree was terrifying and added to their fear. The exact same earthquake for the enemy that was fighting against the wrong thing was a loss. It was their destruction. Same thing. So how many times... Do we lay around not willing to run, not willing to say yes when God calls us in a moment? Like how many times do we just lay around and then when the earthquake hits, we say, oh, it's even worse than it could be. Everything's going bad. The whole world's going bad. COVID shut everything down. Like whatever, you can fill in whatever you want to. But would that have been the supernatural thing that caused you to win had you been running up the hill? Had you said yes to God's voice when he called? Was that the thing that he was going to use? 
But since you didn't obey, it's just another natural disaster. It's just another thing that you can't control here to ruin your life, right? Because we didn't run up the hill. We want God to make our lives easy. And we don't realize that the easiest moments in your life, they'll be the least significant moments of your life. So run up the hill. Believe that you can make a difference. You can't change the whole world, but you can change something. Create a moment. Fight for your future. Say yes when God calls you. When God lays something on your heart, let your answer be yes and do what He calls you to do. And those moments will change you, but they'll change the people connected to you. Say yes to God and His plan, His promises, His purpose. Look at this scripture in um, 2 Corinthians 1.20. 2 Corinthians 1.20, Paul wrote this to the church at Corinth. And it says, whatever God has promised gets stamped with the yes of Jesus. In Him, this is what we preach and pray. The great amen. God's yes and our yes together. You know, God can say things about you all day. Like God calls you His sons and His daughters. Right? God can, can give you these promises and God can say all these things and you're chosen and you're called and you're loved. And, but if you don't agree with God, like if, you're, if God's yes and your yes aren't together, then you won't benefit from that because you don't believe it. I can stand here and tell you that you're God's daughter, but if, until you believe that, you won't act like it. You won't feel worthy or welcomed at His throne God's yes and our yes together. Gloriously evident. God affirms us, making us a sure thing in Christ, putting His yes within us. By His Spirit, He has stamped us with His eternal pledge. A sure beginning of what He is destined to complete. It's a powerful thing when we speak what God has already said about us. Our yes unites with His. We answer the question with a yes, and then the earth quakes. And then God comes through in a big way. What will God do through your yes? God calls you. God puts you in situations and moments. God's placed a purpose inside of you. He places dreams inside of you. What will God do through your yes? Through the moment that you decide to seize. The torch that you take. The race or the fight that you enter. If your answer is no, then we'll never know. We'll never know what God could have done through that moment, through your yes.
What if Michelangelo would have said, no, I don't do ceilings. Would have robbed the world of some pretty cool art. Right? No, I, I don't do ceilings. Or what if a little German monk named Martin Luther would have said, I'm not going to nail anything to a door. I don't want to cause any trouble. Hmm. What if Martin Luther King would have said no to a dream that he had? His yes was connected to a whole lot of other yeses. Remember Jesus' message? We preached a whole series on it there a month ago. Come follow me. We talked about different disciples, and, and that was Jesus' message to his disciples was, come follow me. Come follow me. And then what? They got the choice to say yes, no. Like he asked Matthew in his tax collector's booth, in his job, making a bunch of money, he was set up, he was wealthy, he was good to go, he was protected, he had a personal guard. Jesus came to him and said, come follow me. And at that moment, Matthew got to choose whether to say yes to the call of Jesus. Or was he going to say no? He said yes. Now there's a story about the rich young ruler. All we know is the three things about him. He was rich, he was young, and he was in charge. We don't know how much money he had or in what ways he was rich. We don't really know how young he was and we don't know what he ruled over. We just know that he was rich and he was young and he was a ruler. So let's say he had a lot going for him. And he shows up to Jesus and his question for Jesus was, what must I do to, King James says, have eternal life? A better translation would be to experience real life is what he's asking Jesus. What, what do I need to do to have eternal life? What do I need to do to experience real life? Like, I'm rich, and I'm young, and I'm in charge of a bunch of people, but I feel empty. I'm not fulfilled. I, I, I don't have any purpose. Like, I, I don't, I'm not happy. What am I missing? That's what this guy came to Jesus asking. Like, like what is it? If, I feel like I'm missing something. What do I have to do to experience... Real life. Matthew 19, 21. Look what Jesus said to him. Matthew 19 and verse 21. Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, that word perfect is mature, whole. Like you want, I'll tell you what's missing. Yeah, there is something missing. If, if you want to be perfect, if you want everything to be good, go and sell that thou hast. And give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. Jesus only said that. You can go look through all the Gospels, and the only time that Jesus used those words was when he was calling his disciples. Any other time he had interactions with people, he said different things to people. And when he healed people, he would say, take up your mat or tell them, don't go tell anything about it. And he told somebody else, go tell everybody about it. He would always do different things. And he says to this guy, come and follow me. He gave him the invitation to be a disciple. 
There was a great call on this man's life. Yet we don't even know his name. Yet his part in God's story ended with this. This was it. Who would he have been? What would he have done if his answer to Jesus' call would have been yes? Look at the last, the last verse. Verse 22 says, But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He had some really cool stuff. He went away sorrowful because he had an awesome camel that he wasn't willing to sell. Right, like, it seems ridiculous to us a couple thousand years later reading it saying, Dude, Jesus asked you to be one of his boys. Part of his inner circle and you could have been a part of God's story. But your stuff was too nice. And you went away sorrowful and depressed and feeling empty. You came feeling empty. That was the point. That's why you came to Jesus is because you weren't happy with what you had. And Jesus said, okay, give up what you have and you'll have real happiness. And I'll, I'll show you real joy. And then you said, no, because my stuff's too nice. He gave Jesus a no and the door closed. And we don't know anything else about him. When Jesus called, he said no. So that door closed. How would God have used him? We don't know. Maybe God wouldn't have had to knock Paul off of that donkey and get somebody to go minister to all the Gentiles if this joker would have said yes. I don't know. Who knows? The law says no to all of the bad things. Right? Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. No, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. That's what religion says. That's what the law said. The law of Moses just said, no, no, no. We're not going to do this. We're not going to worship other gods before you. We're not going to. No, no, no. Jesus said, I got a better way. Hold up. I'm bringing you a new covenant that's going to actually work out better than that. Because if you keep focusing on no, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that, then you're never actually going to do anything for me. Because you're spending all your time and energy and effort focusing on what you're not going to do that's bad. And it's good to not do bad things. Don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying just go do all the bad things because you don't want to waste time saying no. That's not what I'm saying. But Jesus is like, I, I got a better idea. I got something that's going to help you be a little more productive instead of just saying no all the time. You could sum up all the law in this. Matthew 22, verse 35. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, oh, what a surprise, the lawyer was tempting him trying to get Jesus to mess up. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? The greatest or the chief, the biggest, the number one commandment. What's the most important commandment in all of the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul 
and with all thy mind. This is the first and the great commandment. Jesus said, this is the most important commandment of all. That you love God, that you say yes to God. You say yes to a relationship with God. That you love God. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus said, love God, love people. Stop focusing on what you're not going to do. Like rather than focusing on, I'm not going to kill him. I'm not going to kill her. I'm not going to kill him. I'm not going to kill her. Let's focus on, I am going to love him. I am going to love her. Because if you're loving him well, you're not going to kill him. Okay? If you're loving people and God well, you're not going to commit adultery. If you're loving people and God well, you're not going to steal from them. If you're like, so Jesus is like, I'll tell you what. Let's focus on what we are going to do. Let's focus on that quiet yes to God. The giants won't stop you from entering into the land. The doubters will. Remember how the 12 spies, Joshua and Caleb, they got to go in, but the other 10, they didn't even get in. Because they didn't believe God, their answer was no. We can't have what he said. We can't have those promises. We can't walk in the promised land. There's giants. There's people. We can't take it. And Moses said, can we do it? And they said, no. And guess what? They didn't get to. They closed the door to the promised land. Joshua and Caleb said, yes. And they got to go in. They got to have what God promised them all. Two out of 12. Because two said yes. Ten said no. When God calls, what will your answer be? What will keep you from the dream, the land, the life that God has for you? Creative affinity. It means that you become increasingly more like that which you love the most. That's why the greatest commandment of all is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because if you love God the most, and as you get older and the more time goes on, you look more and more like God. That's why some people look more and more like their dog as they get older. Or, you know, you see people that have been married for a long time and and you look at them and say, man, they look like they could be brother and sister. Well, that's actually a thing called creative affinity. That means the thing that you love the most, you start to look more and more like that. That's why Jesus said, love God first and the most. So you'll look more and more like him. Um, John Maxwell, he said that um, his dad, when he was 90 years old, he said, isn't it wonderful that as people get older, They love other people more and more. And John said that he laughed and said, Dad, that's not true. Lots of people get older and they just get grouchier and grouchier. Some people get older and they get stingier and stingier. Some people get older and they just get meaner and meaner until nobody wants to hang out with them. The reason that you do is that you spent your whole life valuing people. And as you get older, 
everything exaggerates. And if it's good, it's a positive thing. And if it's bad, it can be a very negative thing. What you choose to place value on, what's the most important to you as time goes on, it will become more and more evident. So what are you saying yes to? Because over time, it will shape your life. Romans 8, 6 says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. What you choose to set your mind on. We see in Galatians 5, it tells us to walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Or you could say, if you say yes to the Spirit. Right? Because every step I take of obedience is a yes to God. And I don't see the whole path and I don't see where I'm going like we talked, like I said at the start of this. Like, because if I did, I probably would be too scared to take those steps. But I take a step of obedience, and every time I take a step, that's a yes. Okay, God, I'll trust you again because you've been faithful in the past, and so I'll take another step. Here's my yes. And we keep giving our yes over and over and over. Is it an interruption or an invitation? When that question comes and you're deciding whether you need to say yes or no, when you're in that moment that's just too big for you and you can't figure it out, and you're deciding whether you need to run up the hill or stay under the tree, ask yourself, is this an interruption to my greater yes? Or is this an invitation to seize the moment? Right, so I've already said yes to Jesse. So now, anything that comes my way, any other woman, any other romantic thing of any kind is now a no. Why? Because there's a greater yes. And if I said yes to someone else or something else, that would contradict the greater yes that I've already committed to. So it's a real quick way to weed out some things that if I just think about, hey, if I say yes to this, is it going to mess up my yeses that I already have in place? If I say yes to this, is it going to mess up my yes to pastor? If I say yes to this, does it mess up my ability to be the best husband and father that I can be? If I say yes to this, does it mess up my yes to tithe? If I say yes to this, does it mess up my yes to serve the church and the body of Christ? Like I've already got some yeses that are set in place in my life that I've already said yes to. And Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. In the Sermon on the Mount, don't be wishy-washy. 
So there are some certain things that I don't have to think about for very long because I've already have a greater yes. I've already aligned my yes with God's yes on a lot of things, on my purpose for preaching. I guess that's already a greater yes than I've aligned my yes with God's yes. So any question that comes my way that would contradict that yes, I already know. Close the door. It's a no. So is it an interruption or is it an invitation? Not do I want to. Do I want to do this? Yes or no? no? That's not the question you ask. Do I want to? Bad question. Not is it convenient? Does this fit in my schedule? Bad question. Terrible. Bad one. Don't ask that question. Not, do I feel like it? Because you probably don't. I can go ahead and answer that for you. Nope. But I'm real glad Jesus didn't ask any of those questions when it was time to go to the cross and he was sweating blood in the garden and said, God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. He didn't want to do it. So I'm glad Jesus didn't sit there in the garden before he went to the cross and be like, hmm, is this convenient? Eh, no. Do I want to do this? No. Do I feel like it? No. Actually, I could probably do a lot more good here on earth because in these three years, I've done a lot of ministry. I've healed a lot of people. In fact, my best friend John over there said that I've done more than books could contain in just three years. Now, if I didn't die this year, I could just live for another however long my lifespan is, and I could change the whole world. Why should I die right now? Like, Jesus was all God and all man, so you know his man side could have been putting up some pretty good arguments like that. But I'm really glad that he said yes to God's purpose and God's plan because it brought me into the family and it gave me a purpose and you a purpose and it paid for your sins and my sins and I know he didn't feel like it I know he didn't want to I know it was very inconvenient to be beaten and whipped and hang on a cross but I'm glad he did it it was the greatest moment of all time I've found that on lots of things you can just go ahead and get your yes out of the way Make a commitment. Fight for your future. The future doesn't happen to you. It happens through you. Don't just sit around and wait on, well, we'll see what the future brings. The future happens through you. Don't just sit around and wait. The future happens through your yes. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Or you could say, as for me and my house, we will say yes to the Lord's call. We will say yes to purpose. We will serve. Go ahead and get that yes out of the way for some things. When I say fight for your future, sometimes we think about just punching somebody in the face. It's a fight. Fighting is discipline. Fighting takes a lot of discipline. 
Fight for your future. Be disciplined. You know, fighting for your future looks like faithfulness. What about old Noah? God told him to build an ark. The flood's coming and there was never a flood before. And He said yes. And he saved his family and the whole world. All of humans. Kind of a big deal. And all the animals. Why? Because he said yes to God even though it didn't make sense. Why, Abraham. He said yes to God and he didn't even have a kid. And God said, you're going to be the father of many nations. And he said, okay, yeah, all right. What do you want me to do? And God said, go. He said, go where? And God said, I'll tell you after you're on the way, go. And now we know him as the father of our faith. Father Abraham, but what if he didn't say yes? We probably know somebody else as the father of our faith. I already talked about Joshua and Caleb who enabled God's people to enter into the promised land. Why? Just because they said yes. They were able to believe. And so God gave them the inheritance. And then I thought about old Peter. We talked a lot about Peter. Remember when when Jesus came to Peter for the first time? We looked at it. I'm not even going to turn there and read it. But when Jesus came to Peter and he said, Hey, can I borrow your boat? I need to speak to these people. So could I use your boat as as a stage? And Peter was like, Yes. Okay. And he said, Hey, why don't you take your nets and cast them out on the other side? And Peter's like, we already did all night. We caught nothing. I'm a professional fisherman. And like, this carpenter's trying to tell me how to do my job. And Jesus said, hey, cast it on the other side. He's like, yes. Nevertheless, cast them over there. And they did. And we know they caught a bunch of fish. And then he ran out and he fell in front of Jesus and said, God, I'm not worthy. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus said, come follow me. You notice, Jesus started asking him for things that weren't as important to start with. He didn't get up to the big one right off the bat. What I'm saying is, Jesus didn't just walk up to Peter and be like, Yo, come follow me. Maybe Peter would have said no. And a lot of times, God's going to do that for you. But if you're not saying yes on all the little things... But you keep wondering, why don't I ever get my big moment? Why don't I ever get a ground-shaking, epic moment? Why doesn't God ever ask me to do a big thing? It's because you didn't let Him borrow the boat. Because He asked you to feed that homeless man, and you didn't do that. It's because He asked you to help that teenager that needed a little bit of help, and you were too busy to do that, and said no. Or you thought you knew better when he asked you to cast your net on the other side and you said no. So, where's my big moment? How come I'm not a disciple? Because maybe you hadn't been saying yes when he keeps asking you these little things. Yes. Peter said yes. Yes. Now there came a time when Peter said no. 
Peter threw out some no's that contradicted his yes. Right? We know that he denied Jesus three times. They said, don't you know him? No. That no was a contradiction to his greater yes, to his purpose in life to come and follow Jesus and to know Jesus better than anyone on the planet. Like top three was probably Peter. They asked him, do you know him? No. I've never seen him. He cussed. He said, no, no. And then Jesus came back and found Peter. And Jesus reenacted that whole miracle of the catching of the fish and throw the net on the other side and all this stuff. Jesus is asking him why. Because he's letting Peter get to say yes again. Yes, we'll throw the net on the other side. Yes, it's Jesus. Yes, I do know him. And he comes to the shore and Jesus said, do you love me? He said, yes. Jesus said, then feed my sheep and love people. Do you love me again? And he said, yes. Then love people and feed my sheep. Minister to people. Help people. He asked him a third time, do you love me? And Peter got emotional and started to cry. He said, those no's that contradicted the yes. This is the real you, Peter. This is your yes. Feed my sheep. Each day is God's gift to you. What you do with it is your gift back to Him and the world. I want you to know as I end the message that there are other people tied to your yes. How many? I don't know. Probably a lot. You've all got a yes. Everybody under the sound of my voice and there are lots of other people tied to your yes. A lot that you probably don't even think about or realize. How powerful is your yes? You'll never know if you keep saying no. My yes, I I could name different yeses in my life and I guess I already have named some but like as I was studying this and thinking about this message and I was thinking about You know, one of the major, a yes on my life was saying yes to be a pastor. And I didn't want to. And I was scared. And I wasn't good at it. And like, but I heard the voice. I heard Jesus' call. And I just said yes. And how many lives were tied to that? And I could sit here and give an example of probably everybody in the room and I could go around and think about like like because I became the pastor I was connected to Blake House and I knew Ronnie and then one day I saw him who was working at Blake House in Walmart in Bremen and I met this dude with a weird accent and some crazy hair, this skinny guy named RJ. And I asked Ronnie, where's that dude from? He talks kind of funny. He said, he's from Ohio. See, RJ had some yeses. And RJ said yes to where he was at the time. 
And God called RJ to come be a part of us. And he said yes. And that probably wasn't easy. Right? There's all different things he could have done, places he could have gone, maybe back home where he was familiar or known family. Think like. But he said yes. He asked Rebecca to marry him, and she said yes. And because of his yes, look what God has done, and look how many people are connected and how many lives. And he got three babies because of those yeses. And, and I could have I just looked around the room and, and picked out RJ, but I could look around the room and pick out a lot of y'all and, and start talking about your yeses. And when you choose to obey God and follow Him, your yes, a lot of times you don't know what it looks like. That'll be the last, the last example I give because um, Jesse's yes. There are a lot of yeses, but her HOC yes. God put that in her heart years ago uh, to minister to survivors of sex trafficking right? and how we could be a part of that. And, and like I said before, if we would have known what it was going to look like then, we would have never said yes. I say we, like we make decisions together, but ultimately it's her. She said yes to purpose that God placed in her heart. And we didn't know exactly what it would look like, and it looks big. It looks a lot bigger than we thought. And it's coming to pass. But what if she would have said no? How many lives are going to be touched by that yes? And by your yes? Right? Because she can't do it all like she needs your yeses to join with her and other people's yeses and other churches' yeses and other, like, and that's how God works. You might think this is kind of weird, but I want to close the service by reading you a Franciscan blessing, the Franciscan prayer. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may wish for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. Your yes is powerful. Obey His voice. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thank you that you have a call and a purpose on each of our lives. Thank you for the moments that we're placed in. God, thank you for reminding us that even when the moment is too big for us, when things seem out of control, that you're just big enough and that's when you're ready to work. 
Give us the faith to trust what you say. But God, we thank you ultimately for your yes. We thank you that you looked at us lost and dying and in our sin. And you knew that there was a price that must be paid. And you said, yes, I'll pay that price. Thank you. We know that we couldn't earn it. We don't deserve it. But that you call us your kids and that you love us and you paid the price for us to walk in freedom. You paid the price for us to walk in purpose and to make a difference in the world. So God, we're going to give back of who we are. We're going to give our time and our talents and our treasure to serve humanity. We will not let fear dictate what we do. We love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.